So basically, I'm making an integrated arts video and I'm just taking pictures of things I find beautiful. Things uh, that I find beautiful. Of course. So I just need you to stand there and exist. Things I find beautiful. And I think you're a beautiful person. Of course. It's so awkward. It's not. Okay. <laughs> Things I find beautiful. You got a great look. You're beautiful. <laughs> Just taking pictures of things I find beautiful. And I'm just taking pictures of things I find beautiful. That is so nice. <laughs> well, it's the truth. This has been such a great day. Kairos, you are so beautiful, and I just want you to know that. My name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor at Lutheran Church of Hope in Ames. I also get to be a part of Kairos, and I'm so glad that I do because it's so awesome to be with you here tonight in this space. Are you pretty pumped to be in this building? Pretty cool, right? Uh, you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to say hi to our friends in Iowa City. Um, the camera's somewhere back there, so on the count of three, you can say, what's up, Iowa City? One, two, three. You make them feel so warm and nice. I want to say hi to my friends in the balcony. If you're down here toward the back, you don't know. Maybe there's a balcony up here. So hi, friends in the balcony. It's a cool space to see it, right? I think it's pretty cool. They don't make buildings like this anymore, do they? I mean, this is like the coolest auditorium I think I've ever been in. Uh, when the world is kind of normal, anyway, the world's never totally normal, but when the world's kind of normal and we're not in the middle of a pandemic, uh, we gather in here for worship on Sunday mornings with Hope Ames. Uh, we actually started Kairos in this room once upon a time, and we filled out the total of the front two rows, and it was a little awkward at times, but it is so good it kind of feels like we're back home once again, and I'm just glad to be here. So I started off with that video tonight because sometimes when people say really nice things about us, it absolutely changes our day. And like the woman at the end is saying, it's such a nice day. It's amazing what some affirmation can do for somebody. But did you notice that there are some people in that video who can't really take the nice thing that was said about them? They don't know how to respond to it. Has anybody ever complimented you and you don't know what to say back? I think sometimes what we want to say back to that person is, well, I know you are, but what am I really? I mean, you're just saying that, aren't you? That's what we're hopping into with this series called I Know You Are, But What Am I? It's a brand new series. We're going to spend the next five weeks in this series. I know you are, but what am I? There are so many things in this world that people tell us about ourselves. Some of them are positive. Some of them are negative. And a lot of times we deflect those things. And sometimes that's good. Because sometimes there are negative things that are said about us, and to that we say, I know you are, but what am I? You know, let's say there's like a young brother and sister, and the sister says to the brother, you're stinky, and the brother says, I know you are, but what am I? Okay, we deflect that, right? But then there's also the positive things that we have a hard time embracing. When somebody compliments you, when someone affirms you, we don't know how to take it. There's a doctor who wrote in Psychology Today on the next slide. This is a journal um, that goes into studies of what happens in the human mind. And this doctor, Guy, Dr. Guy Winch, writes, Receptivity to compliments is a reflection of our deep feelings of self-worth and self-image. The way that we respond to the nice things people say about us 
And even the way that sometimes people, even sometimes the way that we respond to the bad things people say about us, well, it just has a lot to do with what we believe about ourselves. It has a lot to do with our self-image. Self-image. It's that narrative that you believe about yourself. It's deeper than the things that you're trying to do or accomplish. It's what's underneath all of that and what you really believe to be true about yourself. And so that's why oftentimes when we're trying new things, we don't believe that we're going to succeed at them at all. When someone says a nice thing to us, we say that can't possibly be true because I just don't believe it about me. And we do this all the time. Sometimes it's in innocent ways. Sometimes it's in pretty harmless ways. Somebody comes up to you and says, you're just so smart. And you just kind of kindly say back, oh, no. And a lot of times we just call that like kindness, right? Like it's humility. It goes a little bit farther. Like you dress a little bit nicer for class. Somebody says, you look so nice today. You're like, I I look like such a dad. No, I don't. You really think so? And then maybe it gets taken really far. Like, you are such a driven person. Yeah, well, on Saturdays, I spend all day in bed eating Kit Kats and watching video games on Twitch. (laughs) You don't have to say that. It's funny when you say a compliment to someone and then they just say back, thank you. You're almost like blown away. Like, well, this person thinks a lot of themselves. It's just our gut reaction sometimes to say, I know you are, but what am I? because we have this really hard time believing the good things about ourselves. I think this is why sometimes it's hard for us to read the Bible. It's why sometimes it makes us uncomfortable to read the Bible. There are things in the Bible that we would assume make us uncomfortable. You know, the talk about sin and death. But then there's the other stuff that makes us feel a little squirmish. It's the part that talks you up. I love this in Psalm chapter 139. It says, uh, the author is writing this, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, God. Your worksmanship is marvelous. I just imagine the writer of this Psalm sitting there looking at like, you really overdid it on the elbow pits, God. You put a little bit of extra hydration on my skin, didn't you? You just made me amazing. (laughs) Your workmanship is marvelous. Kudos to you because I'm awesome. And we can look at that and say, like, that's unhealthy. And yes, it does get unhealthy to a point if we start to look at ourselves more than we look at the world around us. But it doesn't just stop here. It says this all over the Bible. Here's some of the other adjectives that describe you. Justified in Romans, wise and triumphant, righteous, redeemed and royal. But what's the narrative you believe about yourself? How do you see yourself? How's your self-image? It's interesting, a lot of times we believe that we tell ourselves who we are. We come up with those conclusions. But I don't think we do. I mean, think about it. Maybe you've come to the conclusion that you are just not a personable person. And you say, I came to that conclusion by myself because I told myself that and I've just observed myself. But the truth is, is nobody comes up with their own self-image. If anything, at best, it's just observational. I mean, really, the things that we really believe about ourselves are things that someone has told us about ourselves, whether directly or indirectly. Let's say you do think that you're a personable person. You don't think that you're a personable person because one day someone just walked up to you and said, or one day your mind just woke up and decided, I'm personable. 
No, you, you think you're a personable person because when you talk to people, they seem to enjoy it. And at the same time, you don't believe that you're dumb because you came up with that on your own. Sometimes we believe that lie because we said something and people laughed at us. And so we go from a place of hope and wonder about who we might be, feeling like we really are justified, righteous, redeemed, wise, triumphant. And then we say, no, I'm, I'm not worth it. I'm broken. I'm irredeemable. Drop those things. It's learned. These are the things that we learn about ourselves from other people. And we let them get away with it. And I don't want to over-dramatize this and say, well, see, now it's us versus them. It's us versus the haters. Well, no, truly, sometimes the reason why people say those things about you or they make you feel like that is because their own self-image is hurting. And so let's remember who the true enemy is. The true enemy is evil. It's not a person. But we learn these things. And you know how you learn these things. I mean, think about it. You see a four-year-old walking around? You see the things four-year-olds wear? They don't care. They have great self-image. They feel amazing about themselves. When I was younger, my brother and I, anytime that we'd go out in public, and when I say younger, I don't mean like 13 and 14. I mean like three and four. We would wear superhero costumes everywhere. My brother was always Batman and I was always Robin. Or then when my sister got old enough to dress up too, we became like the super crew. This is not taken at Halloween like you might think it is. This is just on some random day, my mom tells me. Because we'd go out of the house and be like, I'm just awesome. And you know, a parent, they're like, yeah, you're awesome. Who cares what you look like? You know, and so the truth is, is we're like, okay, well, I, I feel awesome because I got my cape, you know, and this is, this is the best thing that I could find for a cape. So I apologize that it's not awesome. But we've got it on, like, see, like, I, I'm awesome and the cape says so. Was anybody else one of those kids who was like, you know, if the superhero doesn't have a cape, it's not real? I was one of those kids. I just needed the cape. And I had that cape on. I'm like, man, I feel good about myself. I'm a superhero. Meanwhile, people are in the grocery store like, well, that mother needs to take care of her children and dress them properly for the day. My mom's awesome, so don't insult her. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I feel pretty good about myself when I got the cape on. You feel like you're supposed to be noticed. You feel like you're supposed to talk. You're supposed to share your gift with the world. But then the narrative changes. Because somewhere along the line you hear directly or indirectly that you're not a hero. You're not justified, righteous, worthy, redeemed, wise, royal. How does that happen? Sometimes it happens through maybe some sillier circumstances. I was in TJ Maxx the other day with my wife, and uh, we were in one of the aisles, and I don't know, I just, I like, I don't know what it is. Every now and then I get the hiccups really bad. And so I think that everybody, no matter where they're standing in the store at that time, they can just hear me, you know, oh, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, you know. But I'm feeling fine about myself at this point. Like, okay, it's normal, people get hiccups, you know, it's just what happens, okay? And then we're in one aisle, and we're standing there. I just cannot get rid of these. I'm like, ah! And then there's a woman standing in the aisle as well. And we've been standing there with her for about a minute. So I'm guessing probably like three hiccups at this point. Ah! I'm kind of getting a little embarrassed. And after one of the hiccups, I'm, ah! 
I hear her say, well, hi there. And I'm like, oh no, she noticed me and I'm embarrassed. And so I just go, hello. <laughs> and then my wife looks at me like I'm crazy. And she's, the woman was just on her cell phone. And now I just dart outside of the aisle. I'm like, see ya, Abby, I gotta go. And all of a sudden, I, I don't feel so cool anymore. I don't feel like somebody who even wants to be noticed. Instead, I feel like someone who should just keep quiet and hopefully remain unnoticed. I don't feel like the psalmist in Psalm chapter 139. Again, we saw this earlier where it says, you just made me awesome, God. We have a hard time with that. So we fall into those narratives. Someone comes back and I'm like, no, 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 please. Like, just hear, you, I wish you could see you the way I see you. You're so cool. But we all know that compliments don't fuel us to keep on going. A compliment might get us to the next compliment that might get us to the next compliment that might get us to the next compliment. But what happens when we do something where it was an obvious fail and nobody has something nice to say about us? And so look, I do hope that you can receive compliments. I do hope that you can say thank you. I do hope that you can stand there and say, yeah, you know what? I did do something that's kind of cool. But we don't base our self-image off of those compliments. Because eventually the cape will fall off because we won't have something to be complimented for. But this psalmist seems to have found something deeper. We say to the world, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? We go to so many different voices to say, I know you are, but what am I? Somebody please tell me, what am I? And so we dig a little bit deeper and someone says something nice, but they didn't say it nice enough. So we go to somebody else and we say, hey, can you make me feel a little bit better? They didn't say it quite the way that I wanted to. And so then we ask really specifically, okay, what do you think about my hair this way? And if they don't compliment it exactly the way that we wanted, it's not gonna satisfy us. There's gotta be something deeper, right? We've got to build our life on something more sturdy. We go to all different kinds of voices to tell us who we are in this world. God wants to say something about it too. And all over the Bible, it says really awesome things about you, but nothing, nothing is better than this. This is the best thing that God says about you. It says this in 1 John chapter 3. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. When God looks at you, do you know what he sees? I mean, be careful in the way that you answer this, because when we say, how do other people see me when they look at me, we look at a mirror. And we think, well, I'm seeing my, you know, like, I don't like my complexion. Or we even see it a little bit deeper. I don't like the way that my voice sounds. Not literally, but the way that I speak into things. I always think that I sound silly. I'm always so nervous. I'm always so irritated. That's what people see when they think, when, when they think of me. But what does God see when he thinks of us? The Bible tells us when God sees us, he sees his children. Now what does a parent see when a parent sees their children? It's not just simply, oh, I'm seeing this human being that happens to appear. When a parent sees their child, that parent is seeing themselves. When my mom looks at me, when my dad looks at me, they're looking at me, yes, I am my own person, but they're also seeing me. And if you know my mom and if you know my dad, you know that when you see me, you see them. 
And God's saying the same thing about us. When I see you, I see my child, which means I see myself. And don't just take my word for it. It says it in the Bible at the very beginning in Genesis chapter one, God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, the reason why it says us there is because God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship, so in love with one another that it is not as if they are one, it is that they are actually one God. And I made you for that. To be so wrapped up in love, to be so secure, to be so confident that when I tell you you're my child, you'd believe me. You'd take me seriously. And I don't know, maybe for you that's not super relieving yet because when you think of a parental figure in your life, you don't think of nice things. And maybe for you it's not like a parent, but it's an authoritative figure. Like, okay, well, when I think of authoritative figures who kind of like see me as their kids... I automatically think of all the different things that took the cape off of me that show that I'm not a hero and I'm just so tense because I'm worried that I'm going to get dismissed. Because that's just the way that life works. People find out more about me than they see more flaws about me and they dismiss me, don't they? This is what they do. I was watching The Bachelorette last night. Um, big fan, huge fan. Um, <laughs> Super entertaining, not necessarily the most ethical, moral thing that you could ever do in your life, but nonetheless, very entertaining. I'm watching last night, and this one guy gets one-on-one -on -one time with the bachelorette, and as they're sitting there, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, he says something that she doesn't like. He said, you know, I, I came here, like I never thought I would do this, but I came here when I found out it was going to be you, like because I, I just like really adore you. And then she says back, oh, well, what is it about me? And he goes, oh, well, uh, uh, and he just froze and your heart's just breaking for the guy. And all of a sudden, he doesn't look like a hero anymore. His cape got ripped right off of him. And you know what she said to him? She said, well, that's too bad. You can leave. And she walked him to the van and he's off the show. Oh, I felt so uncomfortable watching that. I mean, my goodness. And sometimes we get so tense like that. The, the, the bachelorette, she walks back into the room, then where all the other guys are like, and they're like, oh, where's Blake? And she's like, I sent him home because he messed up. And they're like, ah! I can't remember if that's his actual name, but. And so we hear that and we're like, is that how God's gonna be with me? God, I, I just think you're awesome. Why do you think I'm awesome? It's terrifying. Listen, God's love for you does not depend on whether or not you make a mess of stuff every now and then. You can make a mess of your whole life and that doesn't change the fact that you're God's kid. Because when God looks at you, he still sees you. Not the things that you've done, not the things that you've tried, not the things that you've left undone. He sees you. So when he sees you, he sees him. He's proud. Listen, if you want to have a better opinion of yourself, 
if you want to have a stronger self-image, if you want to see yourself in a better light, see God. Know what God looks like. Know who God is. If you want to know who you are, know whose you are. You're God's child. And he doesn't send you away just because you've made a mess of a few things. Jesus makes this really clear in Luke chapter 15. He tells one of his most famous stories. It's a story, it's called the prodigal son that we've kind of called it today. It's a story about a son who gets lost. Jesus says that there are two sons that a father has. And one of the sons, the younger son, he says, you know, dad, I really kind of wish that you were just gone so I could have my inheritance from you. And as heartbreaking as this must be for the father, he says, all right, if you don't want me in your life, I won't force it, and so I'll send you away. And so the son, he goes away, and he makes a mess of his whole life. He takes the fortune that the father gives him, he makes a mess of his life, and one day he ends up in a pig pen. And he's so desperate, he's so hungry, he's so poor, he's so broken, that he sees the things that the pigs are eating, and he thinks to himself, that might be worth eating. I've ruined my life. But then he has this kind of reconciliation type of moment within his heart where he's like, hold on, if I'm going to eat this, I might as well just go be a servant at my father's house. I mean, I know I can't be his kid anymore, but maybe, just maybe, he'll welcome me back on a lower level. Not someone who walks in with a cape by any means whatsoever, but, you know, someone who just might be able to eat the crumbs off the floor. Please, please, please. And so he's walking back and he's practicing this speech. All right, so here's what I'm going to say to my dad. I'll be like, hey, look, I'm really sorry for what I did. I don't expect you to see me as a son anymore, but I'm just wondering, will you take me in, please? You're still his child. You're still his son. You still belong to him. And I wonder if he's saying, I know you are, but what am I? Not me. I blew that. And there's so many people in this world who are walking through life like that when they think about God. It's too late for me. I've made a mess of everything. You're God's kid. It says that when the son is approaching the house, the father is waiting for him. He's sitting on the porch. And it's not like the father knew that the son would be coming back. He's just waiting eagerly. I just hope he comes back. And if he does, I'm not going to miss it. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he kissed him. It tells us also in the story that he, he, uh, he killed the fattened calf and they had this big giant party and festival and you think everybody's so happy. They lived happily ever after and, and the son's been redeemed and everybody's pumped about it. But what about the people who now are having their narrative about that son who was lost being challenged because they used to tell that son, no, you are broken, you are worthless, you are irredeemable, you don't belong in this family anymore. What about those people? Are they gonna be happy about it? To our great surprise, the person who's feeling like that is that lost son's older brother. Says the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go into this party. His father came out and he begged him, please. Don't you see this brother of yours? He was lost, but now he's found. Not to mention in those days, if there was an older brother whose younger brother got lost, it was the older brother's duty to go out and give up everything, try to find him. But this older brother wouldn't do it. And then when he came back, he said, that's not okay. 
Because if his self-image can be redeemed, what does that say about my self-image? This one that I've worked so hard. Come on, Father, don't you see? I put this cape on and I've worn it so proudly for so many years. It says in the text that the son said, I followed everything that you've wanted. I've done everything that you could possibly want me to do. I've worn the cape. I've never taken it off. Come on, Dad. The son won't give it up. He's still trying to tell the younger brother, this is who you are. And the father won't have any of it. No, I tell him who he is. He's still my child. You know, there's something really interesting about this story. It kind of shows a need that we all have. When we're so far away from home and we feel so broken... We could really use a sibling to come our way and help us out. When we've lost the cape. You know, my siblings and I, we wore the capes growing up. But you know what the coolest thing about my relationship with my brother and sister is? I could look like an utter fool. And they got my back. Those two, they'd go to the ends of the earth to bring me home. We find this need. I need this sibling. I need this savior. When I was, uh, again, really young, we were out uh, at Lake Okaboji in Iowa, and I was in the water with like this little like froggy tube thing that I wore everywhere. Um, and somehow, some way, like the, the like, the cap came off, and so it started to, you know, fizzle air out or spit air out, whatever it was. And I'm like, ah, I can't swim. I'm going to die. I mean, given I think my mom was maybe like a foot away from me. But, you know, your four-year-old brain starts to go all different places. And uh, my brother, John, who's six, he just starts sprinting into the water, you know, valiantly risking all. He grabs me and he like drags me back to shore. Like, and again, I think my mom's just standing there watching this whole thing like, what? <laughs> but you get the point, right? When I was scared, he didn't point out, well, you know, you didn't make sure that your tube was secure. And he just gladly came. And on way deeper levels, our souls need that. Because some of us feel like we are so far from home that turning around and taking that long walk back is impossible. No, I'm not doing it. I won't. I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ is the older brother, the older sister, the sibling that your heart and soul so desperately need. And it doesn't matter how big of a mess you've made of your life. He's not sitting there analyzing those things. He's glad to sprint into the water. Again, don't take my word for it. This is what we heard in the Bible reading for tonight from John chapter 1. God, 
saw that we were far away from home. And maybe some of us were so lost that we didn't even know which way to turn. So he came into the very world he created. And here's the really cool thing, right? It's just not not everybody recognized him. Some people rejected him. Why? Well, people try to tell you who you are. People try to tell God who God is all the time, too. Let's be honest. I try to tell God who God is sometimes. And he won't have it. We don't tell God who God is. God tells us who we are. And that's really good news. Because the God who created you knows you better than you know yourself. And he likes you better than you like yourself. And he loves you more than you love yourself. And he loves you so much that he's expanding his family just for you to have a space in it. He loves you so much that he decided that the world was not finished until you were created. This is what God says to you. You are my child. And those of you who receive me, I will give the full rights of family to. You are always welcome home. I will always chase after you. I will go to every single place that you've gone. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became human. The word as in God is what it's talking about here. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. It's almost as if God can't help himself. I know that God doesn't have any problems. I know that God can do whatever he wants, but God loves you so much that it almost starts to seem like he needs you. He chooses you so much that it almost seems like he needs you. So come on in. Come on home. It's amazing. No matter how far I run away, there's not a place I could go to where God is not already there. Because the word became flesh. The word came in. The word was my sibling that I truly needed. And he saved me and he loved me and he brought me home. And even the last of places that I'd ever want to go. Even into death. He brings me home from death. Death will not even tell you who you are. Something has really struck me in the last few months. I've, I've been a part of more funerals, and memorial services, in losses, in hard times than I've ever been a part of in my entire life. Especially in the last three years as a pastor. And these are moments of complete breakdown sometimes for me where I'm like, God, what, what? This is so tragic. Not now, not this person, too soon. And when it looks like death has the final word, Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, goes into that place of death and says, I can bring you home even from there. And so as we walk through this weird season where all sorts of tragedies seem to be falling down around us, we know we are never alone. We know we are never too far from home. We know that even in the depths of death, God can redeem us and bring us back to him because we are his children. That never changes. When God looks at you, he sees his very son. He sees Christ. And it does not matter what the world has told you about yourself. Believe this to be true. Who are you going to believe? The person that you've been trying to impress who someday you won't really care about or the God of the universe?
who created you because he loves you, who created you because he decided that this world was not complete until you were made. Who are you? You are God's child. That will never, ever change. Let's stand up. Let's sing. Let's praise our good God. Amen.